Welcome to the Best Hour of Their Day podcast with your hosts, Jason Fernandez. And me, Jason Ackerman. With more than 20 years in the business, as both coaches and affiliate owners, our passion is to help create world-class affiliates and coaches by building better boxes. Welcome to the best hour of your day. All right, we've got, what's your official title? CrossFit Games Programming Wizard, was it? Say, yeah, something like that. Um, Competition Director is is what it says on the on the uh, organization chart, I suppose. On the paycheck? On the paycheck? Uh, man, I've heard nothing but raving reviews of your programming for the 2022 Noble CrossFit Games. Oh, thanks. How does, how does that, I mean, I can imagine you feel very satisfied after that. Yes, I think mostly yes. You know, there's always things that um, I think we can do a little bit better and you're always kind of, your own worst critic. So watching back certain points of the weekend, I'm like, man, I was really happy with that. And there's some things that I'm, you know, I, I didn't like at all. Um, just as far as little things. And I'm, I'm sure that a lot of that has to do with just, uh, things that I'm going to see that they're little icing on the cake type things that are going to make things just that much better. Um, so yeah, I mean, overall, very satisfied, very, very happy with the way things went off. I mean, man, for a first year, I uh, couldn't have asked for a better team specifically. And um, yeah, I mean, I think for as far as like the breadth of what we had to do to make it successful, I think um, I think it was great. So yeah, very, very satisfied for a first outing. Um, well, I wanted to ask you some broad questions and then go through some of the events, but I do want to say- yeah. Oz was on Talking Elite Fitness with Sean Woodland, and you guys did a great job recapping oh, a lot of the events already. So yeah. please give that a listen. I don't want to be redundant. I'm sure you've answered a lot of the same questions multiple no, times already. But my, my first question on a personal note, and I think listeners are interested, like what does Boz's sleeping schedule look like the week <laughs> of the, the games? games? Yeah, like you show uh... up, I assume, like the weekend before, like Saturday, Sunday, yeah. and then... And then what, when, and where are you sleeping? I mean, I assume the hotel room for part of the time, but like how much sleep are you getting? And do you just start to lose it by the end? Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I've been around the games long enough that you kind of know what you're getting into with, with a big event. Um, And same thing when we used to run the regionals, um, you kind of get into the flow of things. And so you, you you need to be smart about when and where you get that because they are going to be long days and, I think anybody who's done any sort of big event, regardless of the the genre of it, it's just kind of an accepted fact that the days are going to be long and you don't need to try to make them any longer. And that's, that's a message that I send to our team too, is, you know, everybody wants to do a really good job. Everybody's putting the time in to try to make it right. Um, at a certain point, you have to just accept that you've done the work and go to bed. Uh, and I know that there are certain members of the team that I've been very direct about. It's like, look, if I see that you've been in a document after we had this final meeting and you're like changing around the formatting on something that's totally unnecessary, that that was a poor use of your time. You should have gone to bed. And that's actually a, a pet peeve of mine a little bit is when, uh, you know, well-meaning staff will lie to you to your face about, uh, Oh no, no, I went to bed. You're like, no, you didn't. Um, but, and that's really important. You have to, you have to know when to shut it down, um, for a big event. And so for me, I mean, most nights I would be in bed around midnight. Um, 
and then you're up and on site. D- depending on the day, it, it varied a little bit, but I'd usually be up around six and on site by six thirty, something like that. Which for a lot of people is not as early. I mean, there's many teams that are there a lot earlier than that. Um, but again, like you don't have to try to make it a tough guy competition. It's hard enough. Um, so take it where you can get it is my advice to anybody who's, who's running big events like that. What, which out of all the events this year, which one are you the most proud of? Well, that's a good question. Um, I'm really proud of the problem solving that we used for the first weather delay. So, uh, two A and B being able to do those in their, you know, fully formed, uh, as advertised, um, format was a big deal and, and kind of problem solving on the fly to make that happen. Um, I was really proud about that and, and proud of how we could get the team together and in sync to be able to do that. So that was cool. Um, but I think the capital is probably as far as just the straight up, like one single event, that's probably the one just because it, it, there were so many moving pieces. There were so many opportunities for things to go wrong. Um, and to have that come off so well, you know, number one, I think it was a very legitimate test for what needed to happen. You know, we needed a couple of longer events over the course of the week. Uh, that that certainly fit the bill. Um, I thought it was a pretty balanced test in the sense that it's not clear that the strong guy is going to just have a huge advantage. It's not clear that the runner is going to have a huge advantage. Um, indeed, somebody who's like really well-rounded is going to have the advantage, which is good. That's what you want. Um, so happy about the test itself. And then obviously the way it played was phenomenal. I mean, nobody, I don't think anybody could have anticipated the way that it ended, certainly. Um, and yeah, like, again, the fact that we could work with the city so well, um, have this event that would create so many challenges as far as road closures and how are we going to cover it and how are the athletes going to get back from, from the venue and, and what does that schedule look like? How do we make that integrate with all the other stuff that's happening on campus that day? So to pull that one off was, was really good. What is and I think, I think actually once that one got done was when I finally started getting into the groove of the competition a little bit more. I think, I think I had a little bit more, uh, stress around that one than maybe I'd even admitted to myself. Um, and once that one was finished, like once we had the second heat of that one and I was riding back to the North park, I rode back from, from the Capitol on, on my bike, um, and it's like, okay, once I was on the way back, that had concluded, everything went the way it was supposed to, and we're back to kind of business as usual, running events in the North Park. I was like, wow, like there was a big sense of relief there, for sure. What's the back and forth like? Who are you talking to? And how far out in advance do you have to reach out? Yeah, there you go, Rogue. Um, how far in advance do you have to shout? Do you have to reach out to like, <clears throat> like, hey, we want to close down, you know, five miles of road. Yeah. Yeah. We, we started working with the city of Madison in April. So, well, and, and certainly we'd reached out to them before that. So, uh, you know, framework, which is a event management company that we work with, we partnered with them for years and years, shout out to them. They're great. Um, and I know that they, they run a lot of events, uh, both in, in kind of CrossFit world and, and other events. I know they're heavily involved in the world games that just happened, um, in, uh, Alabama. So, uh, they had already started doing some of the legwork with the city when we had a production meeting in, I'm, I'm looking at my calendar here. Um, I think it was the week of the 11th, April 11th. So kind of in the middle of quarterfinals, we went out there and that was our first sit down meeting with the city. We met with uh, some of the uh, city officials and 
the people that managed the Capitol and the chief of police and people like that and, and kind of mapped out what we were hoping to do. Um, so that was kind of the first preliminary um, meeting. And uh, yeah, then, you know, it's just a lot of back and forth. They have to make sure the dates work. Obviously, they have a lot of um, summer activities in Madison that that use the Capitol. Um, you know, there's there's other things that have to be considered by them. And, uh, you know, they had construction that they were planning to do around the Capitol. So there was a little bit of uncertainty as to what was going to be available when we wanted to actually um, run the event. So a lot of back and forth, but they were they were great to work with. Um, all the way through behind you you've got fitness in 100 words and i think you called on a lot of that for the games oh yeah did that did you like is that just because crossfit is ingrained in you or did you actually look and say like pirouettes no. we need to have that no i i it's one of those things where like i you know <laughs> i've been doing crossfit since 2004 um you know, I think it's easy for people, especially newer in the sport, to have this preconceived notion of what it is. And I think it's easy to look at the way that some of the modern CrossFit Games athletes train and just believe that that's the totality of what's necessary to be successful. And um, I don't think that's true. Um, I don't think that you can codify the sport to be the best. Um, I think you can get a long way if you have this kind of um, boxed in mentality around what it means to be a, a competitor you can certainly do well but i think if you really want to be the top dog you have to have a pretty thorough understanding of of where you're going to be stretched why that's still appropriate and how you're going to train to respond to that so it was way less of a conscious choice to uh include some of these things specifically like i didn't go back and look and say oh pirouette that's that's one we haven't checked off the box no it's not about that um it's just, this is what I know CrossFit to be. And, um, you know, some of these things were elements that I think a were appropriate as far as what athletes have experienced in the past and where they need to be pushed. Um, and then sometimes there were some elements that I always thought would be really cool to include. And we just haven't yet. So these have been on the back burner for a long time. Um, and you know, I had the opportunity to be in the driver's seat. So I figured why not? Let's, let's go for it. Yeah. I think like prior to this year, you could almost say, training for the the CrossFit games in and of itself was almost becoming a specialized event. Like hey, uh, some people have, took that approach. Yeah, for sure. Right? Like we're going to have a heavy barbell. We know we're going to yeah. run a bit more. We're going to finally swim. And I think you kind of did a fantastic job navigating that, like still hitting the necessary notes, if you will, but also exposing the people that kind of limit their training to what they expect to see. <clears throat> yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm biased. I think so too. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, at the end of the day, I I do think it's important that specifically at the CrossFit Games, athletes are stretched a little bit, and that and it's not in a way that is leaps and bounds away from what they've been exposed to. Um, and that that's actually some of the critique that I reject a little bit. People are like, "Oh, there was so much new stuff." I'm like, "Really? Like what? Name it. Name it. Tell me what it was." And they're like, "Oh, well." you know, the parallel bars. I'm like, okay, fair. Maybe they haven't done the traverse, but you, you mean to tell me that a straight bar dip is foreign to these competitors. And if that's the case, they're doing it wrong. You know, um, basic jump rope skills, like, okay, yeah, sure. Maybe they haven't done a double under crossover, but if you're not playing around with different things on the jump rope and it has just been reduced to a double under tool, 
it's like, well, you don't understand the jump rope and the utility of, of including it in your training. Um, and then the list goes on and on and on. I'm like kettlebell clean and jerks. Like that's new to you. If that's new to you, that's, that's on you. And so when you start looking at the list of things that were quote unquote new in my mind, I'm like, there's really only one or two that you could look at that were actually legitimately new to the well-rounded competitor. Um, and I don't buy the argument that just because it's not been done in competition in that way, that it's new. It's like, no, it, it shouldn't be new to you. Uh, and case in point, I had a couple of competitors come up to me, even with the, um, the handstand pushup, you know, the, the block handstand pushup, which was hard. And yeah, admittedly, that was definitely new in terms of not being done in that way in competition. The, the standard was new. But uh, I had a couple competitors come up to me and they're like, yeah, I do this. I do a chest to wall, strict handstand pushup workout like once a week. And you're like, yeah, great. You should be. That's because you're prepared. Um, and then there were others that were kind of caught by that and caught by surprise. And they'd go, oh, wow, I've never done one of these before. It's like, well, that has been something that's been in the wild for a long time. And, and if you haven't seen it and you haven't engaged with it and you wrote it off because you haven't seen it in competition before, it's like, well, maybe you need to rethink your approach a little bit. Well, and also keep an eye on .com. I mean, week, the week leading up to the games, I don't know if it was like one of those Google things where I talked about it, but you there was videos of you doing stuff on parallettes. Was that by design? Was that accidental? Because like it was there, the, the old school, like if those that don't know, when you were working level ones back in the day, you would often come out and demonstrate some of that stuff. And I saw it pop onto the Instagram. Was that you guys leaking it to kind of tease it or was that just accidental? No. Uh, I don't think it was accidental. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know that it was an accident, but it certainly wasn't anything that was scripted by me or, um, you know, requested by me. That was very much, uh, I think, just a little bit of synchronicity. Anyone that um, saw that didn't immediately think we might have to do this, I think was just being naive. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Um, well, so you're, you're on the sidelines for all the events and I see you have like this little tiny notebook. Yep. What are you scribbling in that notebook? There it is. What yeah. What are you writing during the event in that notebook? Um, it depends. I mean, there's all sorts of things that um, are relevant. I mean, really, the, the event's so big that it's it's really not that mysterious in the sense that like there's lots of things to do and if you don't write them down there you're not going to remember it because you're you're running on high octane the whole time there's a million different things vying for your attention and so if you don't write things down in a checklist that on an event like that like you just things are going to get missed and so um I, it's funny people want to make that into like this thing of oh what's he writing i assume like, you're yeah. writing some times down to kind of see where well, they fell it, it totally depends. I mean, sometimes it has to do with the event. Um, you know, I'm curious as to what's happening in front of me or a note that I think could be tightened up for next year or something I liked or didn't like about that specific event. But it's just as regularly that something comes into my mind that I'm thinking two or three steps forward. And it's like, okay, we have this other event that's coming up in an hour. Oh yeah. I need to remember to do X, Y, Z before that event starts to make sure that it happens. Um, and so there's, it's just as often that it's a cue to me, uh, to, to look forward and not get tripped up by the things that are coming uh, down the road in front of me. So it, it, it depends. Um, I think, you know, but pretty like plain to, and simple, just you're at a busy event and you don't want to yeah. forget. <laughs> yeah, exactly. P people want to look at it and, and, uh, you know, Oh, what's he writing in that about that event? It's like, well, it might not even be about that event. 
Sometimes it is, but that's like being at a level two. I'll be writing notes about a participant. I'm like, sometimes it's good, by the way. I just don't want to forget <laughs> to tell you you did yeah, exactly. this really well. Yeah. Um, I noticed your demo team as always great. Uh, so a couple of questions about them. One, how did you come up with those four people this year? And at the end of the weekend, how smashed are those guys? Because I imagine they're putting in more work than the games athletes. And if we can, you know, give give them a, a shout out those four. I know it was Fee, yeah, six. Scuds. There's six of them there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the usually blue. we have six because, you know, we'll have a lot of overlap. They They need to be able to jump in on individual events, team events, age group events, like anything that needs a, a final stamp. And then certainly during all the briefs, they have to be able to demonstrate the movements and the movement standards. And, and so there's a lot that happens. Um, and so this year, you know, we tried to front load most of the on-site testing to the week, uh, the weekend prior. So, you know, we had a big Saturday, big Sunday, those guys got right to work. They, they got a lot of volume those two days and then it starts to taper off. Um, but yeah, they do a ton because again, it's not just the individual divisions that we have to have, uh, some confidence runs. Um, so they, they get a full blast for sure. So as far as like how smash they are, you'll have to talk to them about that. I mean, I'm a, but by the end of the week, I don't want to speak for them. I mean, they're tired They're but they're fired up, you know, they're there, they're and credit to them. They were awesome. You know, we had, um, Fisa Gaffey, Allison Scuds, the demo team captain this year. Uh, and then Chloe Wilson for the women. And then we had um, James Sprague, Mitchell Stevenson, uh, Griffin Raleigh, and then Street Horner helped us out as well. Um, so it was it was awesome. Those guys were great. They worked together really well as a team. Uh, you never know what that dynamic's going to be like. I mean, thankfully, everybody's usually pretty pretty great in that role. Um, but you know, sometimes they just don't click as well as, as other years. And this year they were, they were so in sync and they seemed to really, really match with each other's personalities. So it was, it was a blast being around those guys. So you guys use them a lot for the individual programming. Who's testing the master's programming? Well, yeah. So like I said, they, they do it all. They even, but how do they like pretend to be old? Well, I mean, that's why it's like anything else. You have to have enough experience to see through the lens of, you know, if you're a literalist about uh, so much around the games, I think you're going to find yourself uh, in in a uh, tough spot. Um, you know, you have to look at it a couple of different ways. They're not team athletes for the most part either. So their right. synchronicity is going to be off a little bit. Um, sometimes even if you look at it through the really harsh light of day, it's like, well, they they did not qualify for the games. And so you have to take that with a grain of salt as well. Um, obviously some of them have some really, really, uh, outlier attributes, you know, I'll give you a great example is like Griffin Raleigh is one of the strongest guys in the men's field. And so if you do a workout with a guy like that, and it's supposed to be a heavy loading workout and you're like, well, he wasn't slowed down by it. We better load it up all the way. You're, you're playing to the most extreme aspect of the field and that's not appropriate either. So, you know, there's always going to be a lens that you have to view the test results through and then make the best decision from the experience that you have this is none of this exists in a vacuum and so i think if you are purely looking at numbers on a spreadsheet again like so many other things in life they can they can be informative but if that's the only metric that you're going off of you will do it wrong um and so when it comes time to testing some of the age group workouts yeah it's hard to replicate let's say a Mitchell Stevenson and a, have him kind of step in for a 65 year old man. Sure. But you can get a pretty good 
uh, base level for what the event should be. And then based on the experience that we have, we can start to make the necessary adjustments. Yeah. One thing I heard you say on talking elite fitness is, you know, you look back through the data from past seasons and and the past events. So you probably can do the same for some of the masters. Big time. Athletes. Uh, Gotcha there. In in each of the individuals, male, female, do you have an athlete from each gender that surprised or impressed you the most? Um, as far as just the competition itself. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, there were so many great moments this year. I, um, that, and actually that was one of the coolest things I thought, if you look at the test overall, you know, there were plenty of opportunities for kind of outliers to really shine at their event with their skill set. And what I think that really pushed the champions to do was to be good no matter what. It's like you couldn't have a bad event even if it wasn't your strength. And you always had these people in the mix that could disrupt the points table because that event lined up with their particular skill set. And so to me, it was really, um, as it always is, a testament to how good the best are and how well-rounded they are and how they don't give up points in any event, even if it doesn't match their skill set perfectly. Uh, and that's the name of the game, right? Is who, who can do more things who's more adaptable across the board. So really cool to see that. But as far as individual performances, I mean, man, Roman Krennikov was so impressive all weekend. He was a lot of fun to watch. Like, oh. I was definitely, I think a lot of people, it was kind of like watching Rocky four in person, yeah. like as the <laughs> weekend went Except on. He's like, like the nicest guy ever. Yeah. <laughs> but people, you know, the Americans just cheering for the Russian guy. Yeah. Right. It just gained steam over the weekend. Yeah. It was awesome. And I mean, you know, he's overcome so much to be there. I think everybody kind of knowing his story can relate to, to having to overcome, maybe not that specific set of circumstances, but to, to overcome some hardship, to, to do the thing. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, so there's that. Uh, and I mean, just seeing him navigate some of the quote unquote little guy stuff, you know, like the way he handled himself on some of those gymnastics movements as, I mean, I think he's probably the biggest guy in the field. He's, he's, He's a monster. CrossFit athlete. He's enormous, you know? Yeah. Um, he so looks see- Russian. Like if you're like, what's yeah. Roman look like? I'd be like Russian. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think in, in the gymnastics heavy tests, he was always like top 10. I was surprised yeah. at the end at the 30 bar yeah. muscle. Up. That's Yo. where I was like, really like that dude is I mean, he fit. ripped off a, a set of 15. And he was on the wrong set. bar. I think at the end, well, it wasn't wrong. We offered them the, the uh, he could bar. use that for the red yeah. bar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was like, people don't realize how far ahead he is. Yeah. Cause he's no, we, on, yeah. we offered the taller guys to use that bar. Um, and that was something that I think was, you know, this again, going back to what we talked about earlier, this is a miss as far as communication and that sort of thing. Like we should have made that more clear on the broadcast and to, to people, um, you know, I figured in. it was uh, Pablo was judging him. I was like, this is a language thing. Pablo. No, no, not a language thing. Yeah. It was a deliberate, yeah. like, Hey, you know, especially there was such a, um, Yes, it's such a stink about, oh, pull-up bars are unfair and this and that. It's like, okay, fine. We'll give you a taller one. Um, so that was that was uh, exactly what should have happened for a tall guy like that. So um, anyway, was- that that's not to get derailed by that. Um, so I think Krenikov was, was uh, crazy impressive. Emma Lawson, uh, you know, I have to admit, um, it's not that I wrote her off. Like I knew that she was a competitor with a bright future and and had a lot of potential, but I looked at, um, you know, she qualified out of Atlas and the depth of the Atlas competition wasn't as, uh, uh, thick, shall we say, as some of the other regions. Um, 
you know, she's young, she's kind of untested in, in that caliber of competition uh, with that field. And to see her show up and not be intimidated by these other competitors and be right there toe to toe with the best of the best and always hanging in there. And again, you know, she had some events that didn't really line up for her particular strengths at this time. And she was always right there. I mean, it's just so impressive to see um, just how well-rounded and how young some of these competitors are. I mean, Mal O'Brien, same story, just incredible. Yeah. I, I think Emma will win at some point because she moves like, you know, yeah. exceptionally well. When you talk about yeah. virtuosity, you know, watching that heavy, the back nine and seeing yep. her cleans and seeing her work through the, you know, some of the other events, I was like, wow, that girl moves really, really well. Yeah. It's a um, great foundation to, to start your competitive career from, right. If you're that, you know, how old is she? 17, 18. And, and to move that well and have that much proficiency. I mean, now it's just building capacity and some of those things that are not as uh, developed, but that's just time, you know? So yeah, she's got a bright future for sure. All right. So I wanted to look through the workouts. Uh, you know, like I said, I listened to you on talking elite fitness. So I don't want to be redundant here, but when we look at the first event ride to work, I heard you say, you know, you tested it out three rounds, five rounds, moving it around. And then one yep. thing that you said there was you knew there had to be a gymnastics element. When you say that, like to, to you, you know, the, the programming genius, it makes sense, but for us other everyday programmers, why do you say there had to be a gymnastics element? Um, well, and that's one of the things that I think is uh, maybe hardest as a spectator and enthusiast of the CrossFit Games to to develop is is the broad view. And what I mean by that, excuse me, one second. <laughs> did, you, did you come back with? Did you, um, I, did you come back from the games with something? Six hours no. of sleep is not enough. All right. No, no. I you know I know some people got COVID or whatever, but no, I I, I'm well, I was fine. I just got back from the gym. Ah, and uh, we were doing 500 meter repeats and my lungs are not in a place uh, where I'm the old Fran lung. Well, yeah. And I, I mean, I just, you know, a little under from, from the last <laughs> few weeks. <laughs> so uh, my, yeah, my fitness is not at an all time high. Uh, but anyway, um, what were we talking about? Oh yeah. CrossFit games fans. So I, I do think that that's one of the harder elements to, really fall into as a, as a fan, especially a new fan <clears throat> is um, just understanding how everything has to play off of everything else. You look at an event on its own and I think people make critiques because they wanted more out of a, a specific event. You're like, cool. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and certainly you can have an opinion around that. Cool. But um, anytime that you start changing one thing, uh, in one event, you have to look at how that follows through and affects the rest of the week and therefore the breadth of the test. And so the bike to work event, um, that was one where conceptually we were testing a high rep, specifically pulling movements and, and gymnastics. So it really was like a stamina based test. The movements themselves were not that difficult, but the rep scheme was challenging. Um, and so that needed to be a staple of that test because it wasn't a staple in too many other places. So that was a kind of a non-negotiable was, Hey, this has to be a primary element of this particular test. I, I was impressed. I had the French guy, I, I'm going to say Bryant, but it's like pronounced. Bryant, yeah. Bryant. Yeah. I was like, all right, let's see. I, you know, I, I pride myself as good at toes to bar. I can probably do a set of 30, 
The guy came out and ripped off 45 and he's <laughs> massive. I was like, oh my God, these guys are so. And then he came back from and chest bar and he must have hit like, you know, yeah. 30 and then 10s. It was, it was impressive to see how how yep. good these bigger people have gotten at gymnastics. Yeah. And and if you think about that too, I bet you that 45 reps was a strategic break for him. I mean, if pushed and if you know 75 was it, it's like, hey, let's just see how many you can get. Oh yeah, he had. More I wonder what like that number a- is. You know what I mean? Like that's that is not um, approaching a max for somebody like that. Which I mean, it's out of control how efficient everybody is and how fit they are. Well, and I was watching. I'm like, oh, he's going to be the first one done, and he wasn't even, you know, one of the top ten. So I'm sure, yeah, people either ripped off bigger sets or just really fast breaks. Yeah, uh, we, we well, talked- and they, I'll tell you on the women's side, that was something so impressive about Tia. I mean, you could go on and on about how impressive she is, just at so many different things, but that was something early that really, really stood out was, uh, you know, she was behind, uh, I can't remember where she entered the stadium after the first, uh, five miles. Um, but she wasn't the first one in, she was, uh, fourth or fifth maybe, but she was the first one back out on the bike. And I think the spread, I think she made up 45 seconds over the first bar. Yep. Over Laura Horvath, who came in first, um, I mean, so you think about that, you have a field that are all killers at that movement and to be able to make up that much time across that set. I mean, it's just crazy how, how good you have to be to be able to do that. Yeah. 45 seconds out of, you know, three to four minutes is yeah. a huge percentage. Enormous. And when you weigh it against like everybody in the field is great at that movement. It's nuts. Yeah. There's levels to it. Yep. You know, we were standing inside. I couldn't really get a grasp on the bike was there a lot of position changing like to me it just kind of looked like you get what there was it didn't look like you get out there and you kind of stay it's almost just more of a fatigue factor than actually people are making up or losing ground yeah i mean that was definitely part of it um you know the five mile hard ride you have to know yourself you have to pace that well um, and there was definitely position changes and what you would see more than anything were little groups that would develop and then they would kind of separate themselves from other groups or overtake other groups. Like a Peloton. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you'd have yeah. these little, yeah. Peloton. I saw that, that a little bit on the screen there. Yeah. I was uh, surprised then, more people weren't doing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, there were, I think there was, uh, there's quite a few. Um, and then, you know, I think there were absolutely some people that, uh, it's very clear that they have not spent a lot of time on a bike. It's like they spent a lot of time in the gym and that's fine, you know, but again, at the CrossFit games, it's not enough to be just the crusher on the C2 bike. Who, who do you think is the best biker, thing. best biker in the field? Um, you know, looking at, uh, if, if you would have asked me this before the event ran, I would have said Horvath. She was incredible on, um, the practice day that we did. I mean, her, the way we ran it was we would take them out on one easy lap so they could learn the course. And then they had had a, a hot lap that they could do at whatever pace they wanted to. You did that in the crit years ago yeah, as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, the lap that she took on her own, I mean, man, she was 20 seconds ahead of the next, um, person in her, her group. And she wasn't out of breath. She looked super casual on that bike, just cranking. And, and I thought, man, this is going to be hard to beat her. And, and same thing when she did that first five mile um, effort. So smooth, so confident, um, looked great out there and then just couldn't hold on to it on the backstretch. Um, so if you would have asked me early on, I would have said that, that she looked like 
a real contender. And I mean, obviously she was, she had a great finish, just, just not um, top of the heap. Um, so she was great on a bike. Uh, I think Ricky Garrard was, was outstanding on a bike and, you know, well, to make up that winning, much, right? yeah, to make up that much time on the, on the, uh, final lap, uh, was impressive. Um, but there was a lot, I mean, Koski, Koski looked great out there. And, and honestly, I think it's true. There's been some people that have mentioned it that, um, you know, if, if Lazar and, um, Panchik <clears throat> hadn't have miscounted, and were right on his heels as they were for that entire race, he would have won that event. Cause I think by his own admission, Koski said that he, uh, you know, he, he felt like he was way out in front. He kind of took that lap easy and he didn't see uh, Ricky creeping on him until it was too late and then didn't have enough in the tank to, to, to finish. So, you know, on that note, it's an even playing field. Everyone's doing the exact same distance, yep. but is there an advantage in that situation for Ricky like to come in and just have that shorter distance than Koski over there. I mean, even though it's the same distance at the end, and I mean, even if there is, I would I would assume it's impossible to make it completely fair across forty people anyway. Well, yeah, it, it it depends, and I think that <coughs> um, fair is interesting in the sense that yes, it's fair that everybody's running exactly the same distance. It just depends on if you get it on the way out of the stadium or the way back in. And so I think that's going to vary by competitor. I think there are some competitors that are like, it's absolutely an advantage that the guy on what would have been the North side of the um, exit area, that the top lanes that there are some competitors that would feel it would be absolutely a greater advantage to be able to get to the road sooner and get on my bike sooner and not have the transition so much early. And so in Ricky's case, he was on the far end of that. He had to run, all the way across the width of the field before he got to the road. And so he's not out in front, so to speak on the first lap. Um, but on the other hand, it's like, yeah, when he comes back in, his transition was more of a straight shot. He had less to cover on that back end. So I, I think it depends on the competitor's preference. Some people are going to prefer one over the other. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, that's, that's the way the race is going to be run. And you have to take that into consideration as an athlete, um, and, and, uh, uh, you know, indeed, I think Koski for his part, he took full ownership of that. And he's like, man, that was on me. Like I, I took a lap off effectively. I don't think he said it quite like that, but he's like, you know, I, if I would have had the pressure of these other guys that I knew were right there, I would have ridden way harder. And I believe that he would have won that event because of it, but because he kind of took it easy because he didn't consider the ramifications because he didn't think about that lap, um, and that final transition to where his other competitors might be when they came in, it cost him. Um, and if you look at, uh, I think the most consistent competitors, um, Justin Medeiros is so impressive this way is that they never give up points like that. You never see him celebrate early. You never see him, you never see him, you know, mentally check out because he got passed by another competitor. He's like, no, he's fighting for every one of those points. And he doesn't make those kind of mistakes. And, and at the end of the week, it pays off. You know, you saw him claws way back up the leaderboard um, because he just never, never gives up that that little point spread here and there. Yeah, that was something he said at the end of the weekend, right? When he was yep. doing his little speech. He talked a little bit about the speed uh, skill of speed medley. I guess one question in retrospect, would there have been anything gained by releasing the crossover early? Uh, probably not. You know, that's one of those things where I was actually surprised. I read a couple of accounts from 
competitors that said they didn't even practice in the background because they didn't want to be rattled by it. And I was like, wow, that is a hundred percent the opposite yeah. <laughs> approach that I would have taken. That seems very weird. Um, and so I don't know. I, I, uh, in retrospect, like, would it have been a big deal to release that early? Probably not. Do I think it was necessary? No. I mean, um, to be perfectly frank, I mean, there are plenty of people that were introduced to that skill, both in testing myself, um, not, not that I really matter, but, but, uh, you know, we've had lots of people that played around with that movement, uh, upon introduction and were just fine. And so I don't think it was beyond the pale to, um, to give them something like that. To me, that skill is not so difficult that, um, it warranted like this huge practice time. So why did you choose that versus like something like triple unders that we've seen before? Um, because I think triple unders are just more of the same. Um, I think a triple under is fine. Uh, I do think it's a little bit weird, like where people draw the line with jump rope stuff. And I, and I certainly agree that there are a lot of jump rope movements that are cool dance steps and like fun to play around with, but have no business being in, in competition. Um, you know, there's plenty of that kind of choreographed jump rope stuff that just isn't really useful, but I do think as a basic coordination tool, there's more to jumping rope than just how many times it passes under your feet. There's a lot more utility to it than that. Uh, in the same way that like, if you look at a barbell as a tool and you say, okay, it's primarily a strength tool. Well, what movement offers me the most strength, the deadlift, all I do with the barbell is deadlift ergo. It's like, well, that's kind of reductionist and you're missing the point. There's plenty of other valid things to do with the barbell to test somebody's strength. And, and indeed, you know, like if you were to look at something like a barbell snatch versus a deadlift, one of those is going to be skewed more towards raw strength. One of them is going to have a more of a power application. One of them is going to require a little bit more coordination, et cetera, et cetera. And so you, you have to ask yourself, like, what am I trying to really land on with this particular movement choice? And, and I think it's the same thing with the jump rope. Um, I think it's funny that people take issue with something like a double under crossover, but they would have been perfectly fine with a triple under, you know, it's like, why that? And not the other it's <laughs> no. And I thought it was interesting because the double, the jump rope itself as a tool is like the one tool in CrossFit that were like from day, this is the only skill you need. It would have been, you yeah. know, you know, we stop at strict pull-ups, never go to kipping, never go to butterfly, yeah. never go to bar <laughs> muscle up, but yeah. people did lose their mind. Did you talk to buddy Lee at all? getting ready for that no i didn't i didn't um i haven't talked to buddy lee in a while the last time i saw him was geez uh 2018 maybe and he did a uh a workshop with us at at the old um crossfit office in um santa cruz or scotts valley so that's the last i think the last interaction i had with him well he's probably got a couple phone calls after that um, <laughs> with, with with Elizabeth elevated, why did you go with nine, nine, nine at the end versus adding a round of 18? Um, I like the faster rounds. Um, you know, I think it, it dares competitors to go a little bit more unbroken to, to be a little quicker in their transitions, uh, and to not have the opportunity to pace as much. I think that a set of 18 would have been, um, something that you have more, more opportunity to strategize. Uh, and not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I think there are lots of opportunities for people to strategize events, you know, bike to work is a great example. The capital is another one. Um, you know, there's lots of the, the up and over. It's another one you could 
kind of run your race. Um, but I do think that uh, there were definitely times, and that test was one of them, where the stuff that was routine for these athletes needed to be shown that it was routine. And, and what I mean by that specifically is that barbell. People, I saw some comments online. They're like, when are we going to see barbell cycling? I'm like, well, they had 60 some reps to barbell cycle. Show show me, show me that it, that you got it. That weight, every single one of them, you know, that's a light weight for those competitors. Oh, no one was opening their hips because they didn't need to. And it was Fine. a way to move faster, right? That's that's That was their way of gaining a speed advantage. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, some people did and some people didn't. I, personally, I looked at that and I'm like, hey, you're rolling the dice. I mean, that makes the movement much more op- upper body dominant. And in a move, in a, in a test that has so much upper body fatigue oh, built in, I'm like, I don't know if that's the best strategy. So you got to, you got to weigh that as well as a competitor. But um, what, what I, I guess was looking for there was, you know, everybody, it's such a trope these days where you see a test come out and people are like, well, you can't come out too hot. It's like, okay, fair, sure. But sometimes you have to. And sometimes you've got to put the pedal to the metal on the thing that you know is your bread and butter. And for these competitors, squat cleans at 135, 95, that's bread and butter. So show me that it's your bread and butter, you know? And um, then you got to kind of pick your poison on the uh, the element that's a little less routine. Did you test any other rep scheme on that? Uh, no, we tested um, kind of how the pull, how the, I'm sorry, pull-ups, how the dips were going to be broken up. We played around with that a little bit. Um, you know, what the traverse rule was going to be things like that, but that rep scheme was always kind of set. Um, and I'd considered using like a longer event there and bumping up the weight to, you know, something that'd be more significant for that field. But again, it was like, no, it doesn't need it. This should be bread and butter for them. So let's, let's have them prove that. I was surprised how much they were struggling on the parallettes. Yeah. Well, it, I think Chase did a good job of illustrating just how much that builds up. I mean, what did he say is like 120 feet or 108, 150 feet total um, when you add it all up. And so you think about like 150 foot handstand walk and how much that's going to fatigue you just being in that support position that much. Um, you know, like imagine having to do a handstand push up workout that had that many reps and also. 150 feet of handstand walking like that's significant um even though it's broken up into bite-sized chunks like it it takes a toll and i think the other thing that that a lot of competitors experience there was just the time under tension that's required you know like you start that set by the time you walk to the end and do your seven dips or whatever the number is i mean you've been on your hands for a significant amount of time it's it's uh it adds up pretty fast yeah, I had this girl, I think her name was Miranda, and she was rather than coming down because she'd have to traverse again, she would like do this internal rotation thing with her shoulders. And I was like, that does not look good, but I understand why she's doing it because <laughs> she didn't want to come off the bar. Yeah. But just wanted to put that pain somewhere else uh, in, yep. in her body. Remember back in the day, there was the man test? Yep. What was that, 10 to 1? Uh, I mean, it depends. It was, again, it was like a concept. And then I think Jason Kalipa put out a video and, and then everybody clings to that. And that that's another thing that I think is um, funny to me is that so many of these uh, elements get put out as concepts. And then as soon as somebody with some notoriety 
says it to be so it's like, that's the only way we're ever going to do it. And I'm like, well, that's a mistake. If that's, <laughs> if that's your approach. Um, so, you know, the man test was just one of those things that was like, yeah, you traverse on the parallel bars and then you do dips. And, um, you know, the way we used to do it originally was you would just start at one and, and keep going. And the goal was to climb as high as you could. So you do one traverse, one dip, two, one traverse, two dips, one traverse, three dips, et cetera. And then the winner was who could climb the ladder the highest. I mean, one more thing there that I think was kind of lost with the parallel bars um, is just the amount of trunk fatigue that builds up as you go across that, like the, uh, the abdominal strength that, I mean, it's not like a crazy amount, but again, that much time, that much movement under fatigue, like your, your trunk really takes a, uh, a beating in there as well. And I think that was missed just due to the spectacle of what you're seeing. And the good old, what do you do for abs? Yeah. Stabilize the midline. So we talked briefly about shuttle to overhead. Do you think by moving that to Thursday, that opens up the door for next year to go five days? Hey guys, Nicole Christensen here with Dave Kalina, founder of O2. So I own Crescent Roots in Boulder, Colorado, and over the years we've had a vetting process for anything that we're gonna carry in our store. And, And really our guiding principle has been, I never wanted any of our members to have to say no to something every day that they walked by. Like have to resist the urge for like, I'm carrying a paleo brownie or something like that. So there were things that we were just never gonna carry. Like we're never gonna carry monster energy and have people say no to that every time. But O2 is definitely different. So one of the reasons is that it's it's a pure drink. It's, it's natural, it doesn't have sugar, very one gram of sugar. So Dave, talk to us a little bit about O2. I mean, that was great. And, <laughs> and, and then also about the deal with Best Hour. Yeah, so, so the easiest way to think about O2 is a cleaner, healthier sports drink. Yes. And so, like Nicole said, it's only got one gram of sugar per can, uh, 15 calories total, and no artificial ingredients. So there's nothing you can't pronounce on the side of the label. Um, everything's non-GMO approved, which we're really proud of. And it's in a can because single-use plastic sucks. And so that's O2 in a nutshell. It's also twice as efficacious as Gatorade. So we have twice the electrolytes as Gatorade, but again, only one gram of sugar. So better for you, healthier, and I know I'm biased, but I think it tastes awesome. So you can have electrolytes without sugar. Totally. Shocking. Totally. Imagine that, right? (laughs) Check it out, guys. Yeah, maybe. I mean, um, I don't think that we've, and this is again, like something most people as fans probably don't consider as much because they don't have to. And and so that's fine. They, they, you know, it's not that they need to, but um, there's a lot going on. The event is not just the individual divisions and um, you know, there's a huge amount of activity around the campus and um, to have all divisions competing on all days taxes the teams a lot. So you have to try to plan with that in mind. And so uh, many cases at the CrossFit Games, it's not, you know, because we feel that athletes need a rest day. And that's why there is a rest day. It's because it makes sense for how we have to run all of the other events and all the other divisions and staff everything and make the broadcast look good and give everybody their moment in the sun, so to speak. So, um, you know, not everything is just a decision that's based entirely around, can they do it? 
um, you know, clearly I think these guys could compete many of them for uh, like almost indefinitely. I mean, that obviously there's limits, but there's going to be um, more range there and, and like whether they get arrested or whether they don't, um, you know, oftentimes that has other elements around it, not just like, well, can they do it? And for those that don't know, we did a dry run through of that workout from athlete corrals to, you know, the judging, et cetera. The team that I was on judging were the athletes. Do you remember watching that? Was that impressive to you while you watched that? Super impressive. Way more impressive than Jay. <laughs> I was sore for about three days from that, from those. Yes. Yeah. It and was awesome to see you guys. I didn't all. touch the barbell. <laughs> you didn't get a rep. I, I, I went for the first round. I went yeah. to get one, but the jerk blocks were too high and I came down and hit yeah. it. Um, so I probably could have done it. You know, just first of all, it was a female weight, but um, <laughs> I tore myself. I was like, we sent it on that run. Is it? Yeah. Did that, that first was one. that truly, a, was it a test or was it just kind of truly making, did you like have any concern that it was too tight a timeline and you wanted to see what normal folks would do or you, you knew it was a good timeline? Oh, I knew the timeline was right. We had done a lot of homework on that one. I knew like it was tight, but it was intentionally tight. And, um, you know, that, that actually probably more than any other event was when I got a little pushback from the team for that reason. They're like, well, I don't know if it's enough time. And I'm like, no, it's, it's perfect. The whole idea is that there is no time. You have to go for it. Send um, it. Yeah. Yeah. And you cannot pace that run. You can't, you can't hope for the best with a, with a subpar run. Uh, you're just going to get buried by the field. So no, I thought that was great. And actually you guys doing it made me more confident because most of, I was walking <laughs> the line. Ackerman can do it. If Ackerman well, can no, be that's exactly it. I was walking the line when you guys were doing those 400s and looking at the times that were coming across and it was like 126, 129. And I'm like, yeah, you got 30 seconds, seconds to lift. That's perfect. So yeah. Um, yeah, you guys gave me more confidence seeing that. Uh, done in mass. I was Dusty Virgil. Dusty Virgil was tearing it up. It was awesome. After was watching him judge all weekend and doing, I was like, you got to make a run for the games, dude. He yeah, was, he's, he's a fit very, guy. Yeah. yeah. No, it was 90 seconds. Didn't go for one or didn't hit any. And I was like, I'm not ready after a minute. And luckily if we would have had to do a six, a 600, I would not have beat that time cap. But luckily <laughs> you called the three. I don't think anybody would have except for Dustin because we, no, that was there like was a, a couple of guys for you guys had a couple of good runners in the, in the, in the field there. Well, and I was cheating too. I was just touching. I was just touching the first <laughs> round, but then we had to go around. I don't think we can really say more about the capital. It was just a fantastic event. Is well, that. Hold on. Let me, let me go back to that shouldered overhead, um, shuttled overhead. Um, I, I love that event. And to me, it was like just such a pure expression of CrossFit because it's not enough to just be fast. It's not enough to just be strong. You have to earn both of those elements. Um, and in, indeed to do well with so many points on the table, you know, you could, you could, you could really put yourself in a hole if you were only good at one of those things. And, um, you know, so I, in my mind, I'd gone into that when thinking that if somebody does, you know, top five in both, meaning they're a top five runtime and a top five lifter, I'm like, man, watch out. Cause that person has a lot of range. Um, and I think that's what Tia we did was, end up right? seeing. Yep, Tia. Uh, and Justin Ricky. also? And I can't remember where Justin, Justin did better than I thought. Uh, seeing it go down, I wasn't sure how he had finished up. 
but when you went back and looked at it, he did really well. Um, but yeah, Tia was a perfect example of that. You know, she was top five on both. I believe she won the lifting outright. And I think she was top five on the run, maybe second, even. Um, you, and, you had and again, said there are two events. What was yeah. the other one that you said would be kind of indicative of the leaderboard? Uh, or, were, or was it those two? Cause they were scored differently. Yeah, maybe. I, but I, I thought that one was going to be like pretty good predictor of, of what the podium is going to look like. Um, and then one other thing around that one that I think everybody who's an enthusiast of CrossFit, and this is the fun part about the games to me is that like, you know, if you guys are anything like me after years past in the games, like I'll set up some of the workouts and I'll do them like obviously scaled down and, you know, behind closed doors. Cause I don't, you know, definitely going to embarrass myself because I'm not that fit, but it's fun to play around with some of that stuff and see just how good those athletes are. And this is one that I would encourage anybody to set up and do it because man, what those athletes were capable of is crazy. You know, go run an 800 that's at a hot tempo for you. It doesn't have to be a PR, but like get close and then give yourself 30 to 45 seconds to rep out a weight that you're comfortable putting over your head and just get back to me. Like it's so difficult what they were able to do, you know, run a hot 800 and then put 300 pounds over your head. I mean, that's, it's crazy. Uh, just how easy they made that look. Um, it's one of those things that again, you know, you, you watch it go down you're like, Oh, that was cool. And until you do something like it, I don't think you understand just how difficult and how fit these athletes are. Yeah. You know, and I think one of the coolest things is you go back to 2007, the jerk was 135 for guys, yep. 95 for ladies. And I think that's always cool just to see the evolution of the sport, you know, or, you know, looking at the pegboard this year, how five, six years ago, no one can do it. Now you're going legless. So just to see that kind of evolution is super impressive. You obviously delayed it. Because isn't isn't lightning unknown and unknowable? I mean, at what point are we just being too soft with these athletes? Well, no, and that's the thing, right? So yes, like you can't predict where the lightning is going to strike with with any sort of accuracy, but <laughs> you can work with a team of meteorologists and determine where that strike zone is going to be roughly, and uh, that's what had happened. We, you know, we had an agreed upon weather plan before the event started. We talked with those guys pretty extensively, and um, and it's not just about the athlete, right? We have thousands of people on site. We have big metal structures everywhere. Um, it's not just about the athletes. It's about the safety of everybody else on, on campus. So volunteers, staff, vendors, all of those have to be taken into consideration. It's not just like, well, the athletes got a little wet. It's like, okay, if that's the totality of your thinking, it's a good thing you're not in charge of the event. So, <laughs> And for yeah. the record, we were like trapped inside. Like we weren't yeah. even allowed right. outdoors, like as, yeah. as the judges and volunteers in there. Yeah. Um, so and, and again, so it, it has to do with, uh, you know, there's a certain range, um, a radius that, you know, the strike zone starts to encroach on us. Was it 30 um, miles? I think you said, well, I, I don't, maybe, but, uh, the, the point is that once you get beyond that threshold, it's like, okay, there's really no decision to be made at that point. You're like, this is what we've agreed on. This is what is going to have the best um, outcome for everybody involved. And we're not going to roll the dice with something like a lightning storm and you just have to do what you got to do. So I think, I think ultimately it was the right move there. Keeping, yeah, keeping the athletes safe. Um, yeah. Well, and, and it worked out, you know, there was so many silver linings that came out of that in the sense that, 
we got to do the event as it was intended. The athletes were relatively fresh when they did it. So we got to see some really great performances. Um, so, you know, it was a win-win in that regard. For, for the capital, the, the only thing I would ask is, is that the best CrossFit Games picture ever? Like, will that go down as one day as like the preeminent, you know, a picture speaks a thousand words? Because that, that picture is awesome. For those that didn't see it, Rebecca yeah. up the stairs with the Hoosefeld stone, all the spectators. I mean, that's, and I think CrossFit reshared that as like, this is CrossFit. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's definitely going to be iconic. No doubt about that. Best ever. I mean, I don't know. It's it's one of those things I don't like to play that hyperbole game because, you know, who knows? There's been so many iconic moments and and just because they're not tip of mind, uh, because they're not as recent doesn't, doesn't diminish them, um, in my opinion. So yeah, I don't, I don't know that you need like a ranking scale for something like that. I, 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 <laughs> I think I'm happy to say that it's definitely iconic. I mean, it was amazing. Um, the way that everybody was so willing to uh, be a part of that event, um, on such a visceral level. I mean, you really felt it, uh, for lack of a better term, um, when you were there, it was, it was a pretty insane experience. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think that one will live on no doubt. Um, as far as like how it stacks up, well, I think that's for, for everybody else to decide. I, I wasn't there, but rumor is Chuck Carswell was losing his mind. Is that true? <laughs> I would believe that I, Chuck was like, there, he wasn't was aware there. that you had let everybody in and he just was going crazy. Oh, I don't know. I didn't have a chance to talk to him about that. That was <laughs> that, that was though. the rumor that we were hearing. You know, we were back, you know, watching the pig and all that. So, but we heard yeah. uh yeah, Chuck wasn't aware that you and JB allowed those spectators to do that. I would believe that. I mean, it's you know, it's it's it is stressful being at the helm of a division like that. And when things happen that you're not uh as I don't know what the word is. Like it hasn't been um, as scripted. Like, yeah, it can definitely give you a, give you a start. So I, I have no doubt that it probably did freak him out a little bit. I heard you say on talking elite fitness that up and over kind of got overlooked. Yeah. Because I think of the so. capital. I was judging Saxon who oh, ran wow. away with it to the point what that I was like, yeah. I was like, I've made a mistake. I was like, because <laughs> he like was I, so far I definitely ahead. miscounted. I was like, he skipped something. <laughs> like, what did I do wrong? But yeah. He he was just in the group. Like you can see it in someone's eyes. I don't know for, for those that have yep. never judged, like those athletes at times, like shut their brain off. And that was him. Um, the, the question I had about the standard was what made you come up with the back facing on the landing? Like what was the difference there versus just clearing and turning? Um, I wanted it to be less of a, of a lateral jump. I think it's a very different demand and a different skill to have to jump over something, um, you know, in, in that kind of more linear facing, uh, you know, kind of forward position than a lateral jump. I mean, I think anybody who's done either of those movements back to back will agree that a lateral jump is a much less demanding movement, uh, and much faster for that reason. So I wanted it to be a little bit more, um, demanding, uh, a little bit more athletic too, I think to, uh, to, to be able to get your feet up and over while you're facing the object. Well, that makes um, sense too, with a lot of what you've said, kind of getting away from what they may have trained specifically yeah. for the games. Cause that's just what they're, what they're accustomed to. And I think that lunge at the end was way more devastating than it appeared 
Oh yeah. On on TV. It was not light. I mean, it was one eighty five, right? Yeah, yeah. Which and all I was thinking is like that would leave me sore for a, a, a week. Yep. On and at the end, also. At, yeah, at the end when they're fatigued. Um, yes, and that's another one of those great moments where you look at a guy like Medeiros, who picked up the pace to beat a couple competitors around him. You know, you look at somebody like Tia who almost did that unbroken. And, and I believe that if anybody else was close to her, she would have, she just didn't have to, um, you know, th- that's one of those things that it's crazy how easy they made that look and how everybody in the audience then just kind of assumes like, Oh yeah, that was just one of those things. Like, no man, that's hard. It is so hard what those guys can just make look effortless well and, and being out there like hearing them breathing yeah having to pick that up out that's one of those things where when you're that close you get such an appreciation for it you know as as you say that that comes up a lot in my mind watching them like when athletes push themselves unnecessarily mm. when it's not going to impact the like the final score for example on the skills medley there were people still going on the pegboard i'm like you're out like you're just like noah yeah he was still going i'm do you ever look at them from that perspective? Like, cool. Just like take this one off. Like there's nothing to be gained and you're only fatiguing yourself for tomorrow. Well, no, because you know, part of the ethos of the games is that you do the test um, to the best of your ability. And, you know, for that reason, we have it written into almost every single brief that even if there's not a specific movement minimum uh, minimum work requirement, you do have to keep working uh, to the best of your ability. And and I think that's not only um, in line with kind of the culture of, of what we do, but also in terms of fairness, it is certainly one thing to consider if you have a competitor that has done everything and then a competitor that says, well, this doesn't play to my strengths. I'm just going to not. Well, what, what kind of advantage does that create <laughs> down the line? Um, you know, so a couple of different reasons there, but I, I yeah, it's, it's not the, I said it before. It's like, this is not the minimum games, you know, you don't, you you don't get to just do the minimum and hope for the best, not at this level. Um, But to to get back to the up and over, you know, that was one, again, I think if people pull out and they look at the test in totality, it becomes even more impressive. You know, the, the test itself is hard. It's clear that it takes a lot of athleticism to be good at that one. But if you zoom out and you think, okay, they just, I mean, literally two hours ago, finished one of the most difficult tests i think in in games history i mean there are several people that said that's the hardest thing they've ever done in competition or otherwise um you know they did the capital they were absolutely emptied the tank to get that one done most of them and then two hours later they're out on the field and they're being athletic and efficient and moving so well um you know it's crazy again i keep saying that but it's really true that it's, it's really remarkable that you can take somebody from that kind of fatigued state, give them a little bit of rest, put them on a bus, get them back to the, to the, uh, campus and they're ready to perform again, looking graceful, looking like they're smooth, looking like nothing happened that morning. I mean, it's just absolutely mind boggling. Like try that sometime, you know what I mean? Go out and do a really tough endurance effort and then do that first thing in the morning. And then at lunchtime, do a chipper that demands a lot of athleticism and just see what the effect the morning had on you. I and mean, it's, it's absolutely remarkable what, what these athletes are capable of. Well, then they come back a few hours later, hit the echo press. Yep. Oh, 
you you've talked extensively about that. Why didn't you controversial go with- event? <laughs> I don't think so. I think you know. Oh, I think so. Some people loved it. Some people hated it, and that you know, it's fine. Why didn't you go with the working title? Make hand sim push. Ah. Well, number one, we have a twenty character limit on our uh, <laughs> on our leaderboard software, so that's that's one, <laughs> that that's one big, reason. Nothing to do with politics, just a <laughs> no, character limit. Really. Yeah, character limit, and um, you know, it's just uh, for brevity's sake. But we still got we still got that line out there. It's fun. Giving Dustin another shout out in the back. We were practicing. He got ten unbroken. Nice. That's him good. That's impressive. West Pyatt, West Pyatt, former games athlete. Yep. Got a handful. And then the most of the rest of us couldn't get up on the blocks. But um, oh, I just yep. want to give a shout out to Greg Kirschbaum, nailing the crossovers in the judges' room. He was our oh, number. nice, nice. He was, I mean, that dude's like six five. I was gonna say he, he's eight feet tall, too. He's <laughs> very if you go to his Instagram, he was bragging about it. So oh good. Um, Cause that that one was a really fun one. And you know, I played around with the rep schemes a lot. Um that one and and this comes back to like an old glassman quote or a story that kind of rattled around in my head and and i think i've you know i've said this a few times but i think it bears repeating that very much the mentality for this one was if i have the bigger athlete come to me and say hey those handstand push-ups were too hard and then in the same event i have the little guy coming up to me and saying hey there was too many echo bike calories i couldn't get ahead um and they both come up to me and have a hard time with that, then I'm like, perfect. perfect. We, we nailed it. And, and I think you saw that. I mean, the difference in body type that was able to find success in this workout was really interesting. First heat, you had Andre Houdet, one of the bigger guys racing against Colton Mertens, who on paper, I mean, he's like, that's a layup, not a layup, but that handstand pushup for him, he's got the leverage there, you know, uh, big advantage. And yet they were battling back and forth through the entire event, right to the finish line. Um, so nobody had a gimme, which is exactly what I wanted from this. It, it truly was who can tackle both and, and get it done. Yeah. That, and I mean, of course, and then you talked about Paulson's crazy oh, yeah. 30 calories yes. at the end. That was insane. I, I cannot watch that clip enough. It's so <laughs> fun. <laughs> w- with rinse and repeat, you wanted it across all divisions, masters, yep. teams, et cetera. In re- watching it and again, not knowing kind of your mindset, do you think you could have started it higher? Did like I was expecting people to fall off, and yeah. at least for teams and individuals, I didn't see adaptive or master or a uh, age division. Most were making it, if not all. Uh, yes, on the uh, individual men and women side, you had very few people wash out. Um, on the team side or earlier in the heats, you definitely had people dropping out. No question. Um, masters and age group and adaptive. Yes. There were definitely lots of people that didn't make it to the end. Um, so I think it was appropriate. I don't think it needed to, to start harder than that. Um, and I think if you did, you would have had uh, specifically in some of the older masters, um, you know, people that just got one round and not that you have to cater to those divisions exclusively, but, you know, if we're going to go to the trouble to get everybody there, I'd like everybody to be able to play for more than a round. Um, and I do think the cumulative effect was, was part of that, um, experience, you know, and having to have a bit of a dilemma. Do you go hard on the first rounds and try to rest, like gain a 45 second rest, or do you just kind of coast and keep moving perpetually? 
this is a great example of an opportunity where athletes got to run their own race, so to speak. And if you're the type of athlete that likes to have that full rest, you could have earned that for yourself. If you're the type of athlete that would rather just keep the intensity low and just kind of coast across the finish line on the first few, you had the opportunity to do that. Um, but no, I think it was right. Um, and the fact that uh, people didn't drop out in the the men's and women's, I think no issue there. And that was certainly something we knew going in. Um, like I told the team after we, cause we tested this one with a lot of people and um, age group athletes, we tested it with a team, we tested it with individuals. And based on all that, it, it was pretty convincing to me that what was going to happen is that you were either going to drop out in the middle or you were going to make it all the way through. There was kind of a real hard binary there. And that was totally acceptable to me. It's like, that's fine. If you show that you are a competent swimmer, that's part of the test. You'll make it all the way through. Um, if you're not, well, then you're going to drop and you're going to drop early and that's okay too. Yeah. I was expecting to have to dive in the water after that max effort. <laughs> Like, cause they were just basically going in heart rate elevated, oh, wow. exhausted. Yeah. I was, I was it, that's some of the most dramatic scenes from the broadcast, in my opinion, like seeing uh, the men's and women's heats, particularly some of the team heats too, where they would make that first max effort and they would go right to the buzzer and basically just like, I mean, off of the C2 platform, like he barely bothered to get to the pool deck to... <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to be crazy like you have to yeah. be a little crazy because you're to, like to be right back in the water yeah it's yeah. i mean yeah i didn't really have much on hat trick i think the only thing people probably didn't pick up on that is how hard they were going like i was yeah. i was myself surprised at the full sprint that they were yeah. coming at the wall balls at because i had that middle call i justin i think i had gee and i was like these guys are like full sprint into this yeah. and i was surprised and maybe just that's, kind of my crossfitting like i'm like i would jog that pick up the ball well that's the whole point behind right. that event is that there was no opportunity to win it like you could the, the run wasn't long enough the wall ball set wasn't big enough the snatch wasn't heavy enough with enough reps to truly win it at any one place but if you dogged it on any one of those things you would lose so for example, if you were two seconds slower getting in off the run, it's going to be really hard to pick that up somewhere else in that event. Um, same thing. You miss a couple wall ball, like really hard to make that time up. You miss one of those dumbbell snatches really hard to make that time up. So to me, this, this was really a pressure test of accuracy and coordination under fatigue. Who, who can do that run smoothly multiple times with no mistakes that's going to be your winner. And I mean, you look at like Guy, I mean, man, so impressive. Go back and watch that. He is just a machine on all of that stuff. And I mean, his ability to just put the hammer down was incredible. Um, really, really fun to watch. And to your point, like on the broadcast, they have a really cool kind of a full field wide shot. Um, if you go back and watch it at the start, you could just see them all hammer out and you can see the line of people just just barrel into the Zeus rig. It was really fun. Yeah. yeah that was unexpected. And I think, yeah. um, I expected it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, for all the people that are always like, where's, you know, 10, 10 general skills, where's accuracy? Like there it is. Right. Like yep. give them something they've never done and make it a, a painful rep. If they miss that target. 
Yeah. And running in, I mean, and to your point, you know, like if you come in on a full sprint and then you have to transition to hit that target, that's higher than you're used to. And you're not quite calibrated for it. Like you have to be really good to do that. You know um, it's one thing to, to, to your point, to jog up, take your time, get set, hit that target. Okay, fine. Most people will be able to do that, but to come in hot after a 40 yard dash where you're racing your competitors, be able to just grab and go and be accurate. That's a whole other ball of wax. Um, and so that's, yeah, that kind of pressure test was, was the whole point. So I like that one a lot. Um, you know, I think we'd originally played around with the dumbbells increasing in load. Um, and I think if I had to do it all over again, I might based on how they tore through that, I think it would have been appropriate, but, um, you know, it's always next year. With the sandbag, obviously it was an amazing event. The, the, the only thing not that obviously thought, a lot of people didn't, uh, didn't believe in that one at first. Like, I was right. one of them, I was, <laughs> you know, I was just like thinking from the perspective of, we don't know what that feels like. Yeah. You know, the beauty of watching a 300 pound snatch is I know how heavy 135 feels. So 300 must feel significantly heavier watching the sandbags, but I loved that it was time under tension. So you, you had more time to cheer every rep versus a, you know, the slowest snatch is what, like three seconds. Mm -hmm. Right. So really watching that. So I didn't see this, but rumor is the way we got a 350 is somebody hammered a 10 pound plate into a 340. Is that how we got the 350? I can't give away the uh, tricks of the trade. I'll leave that to anybody that wants to talk to um, Katie and Katie about that. But uh, they, uh, they definitely, um, you know, hot swapped a, a a shell that was at a different weight for the 350 um, unexpectedly when it was clear that so many guys were going to make it past that mark, which I mean, was remarkable to me. That's in testing. We had uh, Dan Bailey hit a 300 pound and he was the best in, in the field that we had at the initial test. And then, um, Griffin Raleigh, I think he just missed a three thirty, And, and again, he's, I mean, that guy is an absolute animal when it comes to any sort of strength test. I mean, just generally, but, but strength is so in his wheelhouse. And so we thought, okay, we're pretty confident that him being one of the stronger guys in the field, like that's, that's going to be about the top. We'll go a little bit higher than that. We should be good to go. Turns out <laughs> those guys are really, really good. Um, but I think to your point, you know, like, yeah, okay. Maybe you don't know what it's like to pick up a 300 pound sandbag, but the visceral nature of how long it takes and how much they have to wrestle with that. I think you can't help, but understand while you're seeing it in front of you. And I think that's exactly what happened. Like as things got more and more of a struggle, you could recognize just how difficult this was. And you could put yourself there, even if you haven't done it specifically. And to yeah. that point, I mean, most, most, most affiliates uh, have sandbags laying around. They might be collecting some dust in the corner, you know, I would encourage anybody to just go pick one up. It doesn't have to be crazy heavy, but like, if you're a guy, go pick up a 150, go pick up a 200 and just think about putting that on your shoulder. Um, you know, if you're, if you're a lady, same deal, like pick up a hundred, pick up a 150, think about putting that on your shoulder and now add 100 pounds or 150 pounds to that. It it's remarkable. Um, I mean, it, it's like, that's a linebacker that you just picked up and wrestled with and put on your shoulder. It, well, they're just a huge bag. They're not used. Yep. It, it was impressive. And you know, the females more so. Oh man. You know, when it's pound, pound for pound there. 
Danny Spiegel. She's a beast. Absolute powerhouse. I mean, that 250. I I don't know what the ceiling was for her, you know? Oh, she has more for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, And I started eating crumble cookie after that because, you know, her. I don't know that that's going to help you there, but. uh... (laughs) (laughs) No, I was eating it before. Okay. There you go. This is a, this is a great point. And again, I've said this, but I think it's important to keep saying it. Um, perfect example, in my opinion, of an event where everybody is kind of uncertain as to how they're going to fall out. You know, a barbell, we kind of know, we kind of know where the field's going to be based on past performances, based on tests that have happened throughout the season, whatever. Um, sandbag, it's a bit of a wild card. We still saw the strongest at, I mean, Danny is clearly the strongest, if not one of the strongest, if not the strongest in, in the women's field. And she won the event. Makes sense. Gee on the men's side, same deal, man. I mean, nobody's going to argue that he's not the strongest or, or one of the strongest in the field and he wins the event. So it makes sense. Um, but many, many athletes surprised themselves and did not expect to do as well as they did. And to me, that really highlights just how well prepared these athletes are and exactly what they should be confronting at an event like the CrossFit Games. They get thrown into something that they, they, they're not super familiar with. You know, it's, it's close enough to stuff that they've done before that it's not so far out of left field, but they certainly probably haven't done it specifically in that way ever. And yet they're so well prepared and so well trained that they can make it happen when it counts and they can surprise even themselves. Um, Cause I think there's a lot of cases where athletes didn't believe their own ability and they came off the field and they're like, man, that went way better than I thought it was going to. So I heard the same thing about the back nine. We had uh, Matt Torres, who's Dallin and Danielle's coach yep. on. And he said in the back, Dallin like couldn't pull four or five. Yep. You know, then you get on the floor and pulls it for three. So it is, it is true. Like, and also just the energy and the uh, sure. excitement yep. of the crowd makes a big deal. Um, you know, you've told the story of the alpaca, which I loved and you can find it out there. You're, you know, Carl Paoli at the original, you know, CrossFit <laughs> San Francisco with that event, it was probably a tough call, but yeah. how, how much do you think removing the rope climbs impacted this, the final standings of that event? I mean, it's impossible to say that it didn't impact the standings. I mean, of course it, it would, um, you know, you, you change the test and of course that's going to change the outcome to some degree, uh, how much it's going to change. I think there's a lot of speculation out there. I think that, um, people, people choose to speculate in a way that makes sense to them. And, and then they get really, uh, what's the word they get really firm in that opinion, even if, if it may not have borne out that way. Um, and, and one of the clear indicators that I have that I, I don't think it would have been as dramatic. Like I think there would have been some change, no question. I think there would have been some people that did worse in that event, no question. But do I think it would have been like this hugely dramatic shakeup? Probably not. Um, and the reason for that is the testing we did prior and what that showed every single time we ran that test, um, what happened was that if you could do the rope climb skill, which athletes at that level can, they've all been tested on legless rope climbing. It's harder than they're used to, but they can do it. Um, it, the kettlebell work was the time sink that was by like two to three X where the time was spent in that event. And so if you could handle the kettlebells, you were going to do well in that event. That's just the way it was. Um, 
And so would it have been uh, different in terms of the level of fatigue? Yes, it would have made the event much longer. I don't know how much uh, effect that would have had on some of the events that came later in the day, impossible to tell. Um, but as far as like being a complete wash, I don't, I don't buy that based on what I know about that test. Um, That's a good point that people don't consider. It's like you've tested all of these workouts in many yeah. different formats and yep. you know, you have the most insight into any of this stuff. And, yeah, and, and, and fair enough that people don't. And so, you know, they, they, you know, without that information, I think it's easy to look at a skill like that and say, oh, it's going to have so much of an impact. And you're like, yeah, on paper, it definitely looks that way. But that's not what we saw bear out in the tests um, repeatedly. And, and, and it went so far as like one of the testing athletes we had uh, when we were doing this at Rogue, um, she's a stronger athlete, bigger athlete. And she came up to me before the test started and she's like, Hey, I don't know if I can do one. And I was like, okay, well, we're going to run it anyway. And we'll just see what happens. And she did them all and she finished and it was fine. And just like everybody else, the kettlebell work was the bulk of the time. Um, and that was know, that heavy. Was, yes. I was talking to Todd and Todd was under the impression it was 53, 35. I was like, dude, no, I can do that. These seventies yeah. are, if anyone's never done no joke, a yeah. double kettlebell like that is, and that was cool too, to bring in like some kettlebell sport, by the way, yep. which we've really never seen. I think the last time we've seen a kettlebell, I don't know if this is accurate, was that year at regionals where people were getting dinged on that hundred rep workout. Was it the last time we even saw it a might've been, play? well, we did. Cause we did Nate that one year. Uh, oh yeah. Regionals. Yeah, yeah. Yep. At regionals. Remember um, that year where the, we did the snatch. Yep. Like yep, the first time year. kettlebells, I think it was a hundred and they yep. kettlebell had to be completely vertical and people were losing their well, minds on that one. That, I mean, that's really old now. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, that's another one that surprises me. I mean, kettlebells are such a staple in so many affiliates and certainly all these athletes are pretty familiar with using them, but it always surprises me what athletes are uncomfortable with a kettlebell rack position. They just can't put it together. They're not efficient there. Um, and to me, I'm like, man, that's a bread and butter movement. Like you should be told, maybe it's not your favorite thing to do. Maybe you don't do it every, every week or whatever, but when it comes time to pull that one out, it's like, that's a fundamental in my mind. Um, yeah. So, so back nine was super exciting. Do you think that was the right weight? Do you think it could yes, have gotten heavy? I do. No, I, were there some in the field that could have handled it heavier? Absolutely. Do I think it was right? Yes. Because you had the best that could just blitz it and, and, and show why they were on top of the heap. I mean, when Willie George did his, uh, run in one of the earlier heats, I think yeah. it was like 129. I looked at the people next to me. I was like, well, that's the winning score. And then Adler comes out and smashes that by like 15 seconds. I was like, what is happening? This is crazy. But then there's a significant number of the field that struggles with it and is working right up to the time cap or getting time capped. So, so like, that's always one of those, one of those questions, like right for who, um, were there athletes that could have handled heavier loading? Yes. Um, was it the right test for the field? Yes. Yeah. I saw Adler that night at the uh, after party and he was like, man, I wish those weights were dispersed throughout the weekend. He was like, cause that was just oh, yeah. all like all the good things like that. Was, he's like, Boz made that for me, but I wish it was, you know, the deadlift here, the, the front squat. Right. Right. And, 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 you know, speaking on that, I was actually surprised how many people missed that squat. Not that it's, I've never squat clean 315 for the record, but 
I was surprised like how many people had shot out the back. The effect of the yoke was yeah. significant. Yeah, they they all line up for that. You saw that repeatedly that first clean. They're like, whoa, that's different. You know, my my body is not feeling the same as it would if I was just setting up for this thing fresh. Last workout. This was the one I was most excited about, but I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, the row was too easy. I love what you did there, but watching the men, the women a little, I don't think any man got cut. No. And the three that I judged, I think it was like Vellner, Houday, I forget who else. They were, they were rolling pretty easy. Yeah. What do you think? You think you could have dropped it to three? Could have, yes. Um, needed to, no. And I think that the first, again, this is one of those things where as a concept, um, you know, we haven't played around with this sort of concept too often at the CrossFit Games where there's a pace that's been dictated on an element. And so to get that concept released into the wild and have that be something that is now in the competitor's mind, um, I think it was totally right. Again, is it a question of like, could we have gone hotter on that pace? Probably. But was it necessary? I don't think so. I think it was right for what it was trying to do. And it wasn't trying to cut people. That's not what the intent was there. The intent was always, this should be a pace that everybody in the field can do if they want to do it. But do they want to do it fatigued? And do they want to do it with you know the rest of the work that's coming up in front of them? Well, that's another story. And so under that light, I think it was totally right. Um, like, could we have gone a little uh, hotter on the men's side? Yeah, I think we could have got away with that. But again, the, the goal was never to have anybody get capped. It was a pace that was doable, but uncomfortable. And by the way, Dustin Virgil, 13 minutes. He did it. Oh, wow. He did it Good after. For him. Yeah, that's that's great, man. I think uh, Chase did that one, too. Uh, I don't know what the result was, but. He said he had a, a real like come to Jesus moment after getting off that rower. <laughs> three, I think he did three thirteen on his one k, and then he's like, "Oh man, picking up that bar was rough." Well, and and, and think... how about Lazar Dukic, dude? You finished that sub eight. I mean, for the average person, a regular Jackie sub eight is a tough effort. You know, that's like it's a not... good like I've, I've finished Jackie in a in an elite time. Yeah, I feel I feel good about that. You know what I mean? Like the best of the best now are probably like I don't know Six, five, lo- yeah, yeah high, like mid fives probably. But man, for the average person who's uh, you know just a CrossFit enthusiast, you get a sub eight on Jackie, like you're pumped. You know that that to, that to me to, was the coolest part. Like again, that relatability of like yeah. I think I've done like mid sixes on Jackie, and to see like okay, I, I they're within a minute or two, but again crushing themselves on the, like, you know, Jackie, it's like, I'm going to go four minutes on this row yep. and then I'm going to hit the thrusters, but 95 balance and 30 bar muscle ups. Yeah. It's, it's incredible what these guys are doing and girls. Yep. So, yeah. And that's another one where, um, you know, Cara Saunders won that on the women's event, uh, women's side. And on paper, I would not have picked her to win that. I mean, just the row alone, and her being one of the the shorter athletes, it's like, yeah, it just doesn't seem like she's going to be set up for success in that. But to be able to gain the ground back on the thrusters and the and the bar muscle ups is pretty remarkable. Well, overall, I would call it a big success first year. Thank you. Are you already testing next year? No, not at all. We're, are you, you kidding? I have, 
I, I mean, yeah, I have ideas, but they're sketches at this point. It's nothing concrete. Um, you know, we got a lot to get through before that. We got to we got to get the the open and the quarterfinals uh, more complete. Um, you know, there's a lot that has to happen, and and again, that I think is one thing that CrossFit Games fans and competitors should be aware of is that nothing happens in isolation. You know, the season is definitely um, thought of as a as a continuation of itself. Um, the events have to play off of each other, so you can't get too far ahead of things. And if you're like, well, I just got it scripted and it's done. That's the programming for the games. Like it's not going to be good. You have to continually go back and ask yourself, does it fit the full picture? Um, and that's, that's the job, right? It's just, that's how you craft it to be something good and not just like, yeah, it was okay. But you're going to be programming out the full season next year from the open to sanction or to what events are programmed by you in the sanctionals and then the games. Yeah, it's my my job and my responsibility to uh, take the first pass at all of that um, and to kind of curate all of those parts of the season that we're responsible for. And then it's my team's job to go through and look at it and tell me why we should change it and come up with arguments as to why it could be better and and why they don't like certain elements and why you know there are other things that need to be included. So again, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. My, my job is to take that first pass to curate the the big picture. And then it's the team's job to tell me how it can be as good as it possibly can be. Awesome. Well, I am very excited about it. I'm sure all the affiliates are excited about it. If you need someone to kind of give you a reference for like the 50 year old female division, you hit me up. I will test those workouts. You got it. And I'm, you know, a, a little more, I'm closer to that than, than uh, some of your demo athletes. So they had some fun ones too. I'll leave it. Uh, maybe that's a good place to leave it too. For for those of you that are games enthusiasts, you want to get your, your hands dirty with some of this stuff. Take a look at some of the age group and adaptive workouts from the past week, because there were some really fun ones in there. Some of my favorite uh, workouts, like there was a uh, one that was a, a twist on Karen um, so 150 wall ball snuck into the workout with a bunch of odd object carrying to break it up. It's super cool workout, a really fun one that you can, you can kind of figure out a way to mock it up. Even if you don't have exactly the same implements, you can, you can get pretty close. And that's a really fun one to do. Um, the first workout that they had, the first test, uh, very, very classic, longer running rope climbs, um, shoulder to overhead with dumbbells. Great, great test. That's another one that I think like anybody could set that one up and do it, um, you know, with a few modifications and it's just like classic, classic CrossFit. So check those ones out too. They don't get as much time in the sun, but I was really happy with um, the way a lot of their tests came together too. Awesome. We will do that. Boz, we appreciate you coming on, recapping the games. Just want to say once again, we think you crushed it. You know, Thank Fern you. and I both hear from a lot of affiliates and the people there that we were in interacting with were all telling us, you know, just how amazing the games were as a whole. But I think, you know, that's kind of, the, it's kind of like your box. Like it trickles down from, from the owner. And I think yeah. it trickles down from everyone enjoying the individuals. Then it goes to the teams, the masters, the teens, et cetera, but it all stems from you. So thanks for what you did. We're looking forward to next year. And, uh, you know, we're excited to see what's going to come out of your brain. Man, well, I appreciate it. You know, it's um, the goal is just to make it awesome every year and uh, try to push it a little bit further than we have in the past. So onward, that's that's what we're going to keep doing. Practice those crossovers, everybody. <laughs> yep. <laughs>
<laughs> All right. Thanks, Boz. Thank you. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Best Hour of Their Day podcast. We appreciate you listening and choosing to have us help you in your passion for coaching and affiliate ownership. You can find more episodes just like this on all podcast platforms. If you're interested in learning more, you can reach out to us on any social media platforms, or you can visit www.besthouroftheirday.com to book a call. If you found this episode helpful for you, please share it so that we can help other coaches and affiliate owners to help build a bigger and stronger CrossFit community. Thanks for listening.